Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. O'er the sun has yellowed the corn, and sackcloth bags are borne to market by the husbandsmen and grainsmiths. Sing the yeoman, O harvest time, bequeath me your golden wands. O harvest time, lay down your barrows of plum and quince. Bring then the barrels, hail the boniface, hail the bell host, and gather ye all in the moon underwater. harvest to you robin hello yes thank you yes it's harvest time here in the correct realm and so many plump bags are being handed around the town i've never seen so much quince in all my days actually no i know so it's been such a good season for quince (laughs) i don't even know what it is well that's the that's the real tragedy with a good quince season is that there's nothing you can do with it. Do you ever what's that stuff you sometimes get on a ploughman's that's a bit like a kind of hard chutney? Ah, that'll be quince jelly. Oh, quince jelly. Yeah, I like that. But the problem is they only you only really need a sort of a you know a sort of 2 centimeter square little slab of that. And we've got about 400 million quince uh, oh, knocking around because the heart. I mean, I don't know why they keep planting the blooming things. Do you ever find with a ploughman's the ratio is way off in terms of cheese to bread? Like way too much cheese than you could fit on bread. And surely cheese is more expensive. Yeah, it's a real bugbear of mine in a, in a pub or a restaurant when the expensive item, the premium item, your cheese, your pate, um, whatever... You've got ample amounts of that, and they give you, like, two tiny, thin, like, sort of bits of Melba toast, almost. And you're like, well, obviously I'm going to need, like, eight times as much. Is it because they don't want to fill you up? I don't know, because there's no there's no economic reason for them going easy on the bread. And you'll have already ordered as well, won't you? So yeah. filling, filling up isn't an issue, yeah. I th- well, we had this at the... Where were we? Was it the Placamine Lock? No, I went to um, a Spanish restaurant near me and they 
and I said to the lady, I can't remember what I'd ordered, but I said, I'm obviously going to need like loads more. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't mind paying for it, but I just need, because lo- no one eats pate on its own, like with a spoon. It feels really depraved when you when it comes to that. It, well, it feels like you're sort of getting gout and a yeah. fatty liver if yeah. you just eat eat just sort of cheese on its own or whatever. But there you go. Oh, it was a cheese board. That's what it was. It was a cheese board with so many great cheeses and three, like three water biscuits. Yeah. It's not enough. No. Anyway, we're in a good mood here at the Moon Underwater because it's harvest time and um, everyone is so merry. It's the it's the only time of the year where I think people are merry outside of Christmas. Yeah. And all of the locals are sort of... S- using ribbons in very inventive ways uh, and making sort of uh, their own bunting out of sheaths. I guess they're sort of sheafs. No, sheafs, not sheaths. <laughs> yeah, sheaths. <laughs> something else. Yeah, so she- a lot of corn work going on. Corn dollies. A lot of corn dollies. A lot of um, w- wheat ornamentation and a lot of s- great stalksmanship. Um, but it isn't going in a wicker man kind of direction. It's no, very, no, no, very... it's going in the opposite of that, yeah, whatever the yeah. opposite of that might be, but it's a sort of pleasant wicker man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and obviously, yes, the ciders play their own merry tune, don't they? And it's a it's a tune not, not just of merriment, but also of sorrow. Yes. For the harvest past and the harvest yet to come. And we also make a point here at the Moon Underwater of... <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We always make a point here at the Moon Underwater of, of housing excess grain should there be uh, should there be long winters ahead for the townsfolk. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what harvest is all about, really. Yeah, it's mm. about plenty and fewer. How are you, Robin? Yeah, good. How, yes, good. The, how are you? How was your pub in weeks? How was your week in pubs? A pub in weeks? Well, I have a sorry tale. Oh. Well, not a sorry tale so much, but you, we were talking on the last uh, bonus podcast, Behind the Cellar Door, which you can access by subscribing via Patreon. We were talking about sort of hangover mitigation mm. and how to sort of pace yourself and just those sort of little tips and tricks you can use to... Make sure that you don't get too lasho cablasho. Yeah. And I was in Bristol doing the Bristol Comedy Garden, and it's always a real treat to be back in Bristol. And I always get very, very excited when I do the Comedy Garden because I'm usually staying over and I'm with like-minded friends and colleagues and Will, who runs the gigs, is just great fun. Yeah. So I go big on the sort of texting about the lash. Yes, sort of saying, is it a side lash? Is there a pre-lash? What are we doing for the post-lash? And Will always makes a joke that I always end up sort of getting tired and going back to the hotel at 11. <laughs> it's classic, classic Robbins. Has the, the Bristol Comedy Garden, has it moved location now? Yeah, it used to be on Queen's Square, but there was a, a woman who complained about it every year and it got so difficult to deal with that sort of via the council that they just moved place so it's in the on the downs now it's on the downs yeah Yeah, so it's it's kind of not as convenient pub wise though let's say no so i i was quite keen to change my reputation as tired john right so the gig finishes about quarter past 10 and i don't really i don't drink before 
doing stand-up and I very rarely drink like in between but however after the second act had been on I have my first can nice so then when I'm starting the third half the third section because I'm comparing right yeah I've had a maximum of like two small cans of beer so it's fine Mm -hmm. so by the time we leave I've probably had like three cans of beer and also a bottle of Perry I bought there's a really nice beer shop on White Ladies Road it's called Two Belly Cheese and Bottle Shop. Ooh, that must be fairly new. I don't know that. Yeah, and it's got this cheese counter. It's got a fantastic selection of beers and, crucially, ciders and perries. So I bought a bottle of perry there to take to the gig. So I had that. So, you know, I'm just mellow. I'm like sort of three three pint mellow by the time we leave. So we get a cab to Small Bar. Like it. On King Street. Yeah. And small bars, really, really nice. They're one of those places that have a big selection of quite out there beers. And they do them in like thirds or two thirds or whatever. Yeah. Food's very good there as well, I must say. So by the time it's like we're there and settled, it's maybe just coming up to 11. Yeah. So I'm having a cider. Then I have another cider. Then I bought a round of mystery drinks for everyone. Ooh. Which is like, so I went, I got everyone like a, there was a 10.5% stout, a 9% sort of uh, tropical ale. Right. So by the time it's like half 12, because I'm determined not to flake out, I'm pretty, I'm, 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 I'm in the, I'm in the place I want to be. Right. As in? I'm, I'm completely wasted. Well, right, I see. (laughs) But you still feel you need to push on, because normal John would go back to the hotel. Oh, easy, yeah. But you're like, I need to prove that I'm there for the full extent of the lash. Yeah, I wasn't wasted, actually. That's, that's, that's a bit exaggerating. I was just sort of like, I'd, I'd had five, the equivalent of like five pints or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, the mistake I made is, A... I'd had a big tea, but I'd had it at 6pm. Okay. So I now haven't eaten for six and a half hours. Oh. But in your head, you're thinking, well, I had a big meal. Yeah. But because I don't usually drink this late, a lot of my tactics are out of whack. And then here comes the big mistake. So the the barman says, oh, it's it's we're calling time at one. Yeah. So I, I just panic and get a rum and coke. Ooh. It might side. have been a double, I don't know. Ooh, la, la. So I'm sipping that, and that's quite nice. And then they, like, call last orders, like, ten to one. So I get in another quick rum and coke. Oof. So I've I've just sort of piled on four needless units. Yeah. And I get back to the hotel at one. And I had to set my alarm for half seven, because I five live breakfast had asked if i would come on to talk about pubs <laughs> they sent me a text saying will you would you be do this on um facetime video so we can get a social like video out of it and i was like absolutely come, not I come on to t- come on to talk about drinking responsibly <laughs> yeah. i looked like a sea monster when i woke up and i was really in a bad place i i would say over the course of the day i went back to sleep after the interview got up about 10 I just stayed in bed until about four. Went out for some lunch, came back to bed. Lots of like micro naps. But it was, I was basically drinking so far out of my usual schedule is the word. So I had a great time. Small bars, really nice. Brilliant to be back in Bristol. Shout out to the uh, 
cheese and beer shop, but starting drinking at half nine is not good for me. No, but I think that's that's a sign of your kind of development as a drinker and as a person. I don't think you would have been talking about it in terms of I've given myself four needless units like ten or so years ago. <laughs> because you are thinking much more about tomorrow these days, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking so much more about tomorrow and less about yesterday. Yesterday, do you remember when you uh, were playing that golf game and you you gave your kind of golf avatar the name Ian yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> and um, Clive despair. <laughs> that was good. Anyway, but yeah, but I think you're right. I think also though it is just age. Yeah. I mean, I had a really nice couple of nights this week where I was watching the golf, the US Open. And because of the, it's on US time, it doesn't finish till like one in the morning. And I was thinking, oh, God, it's so annoying. Why do they do that? And then I was like, just stay up late, a bit later. It's fine. No, you know, the world won't end. You don't have school. Don't have school. Um, but it is tricky when you're out and about and you're starting late is what's difficult. I think. Yeah, you're on a schedule with other kind of a, a, a different lash schedule. It's kind of hard to fit into. But also, I mean, me and you are very much into the sort of post, you know, the the, the work day is done, that lovely sort of first pint. If I said to you, oh, you finish work at five and you can have your first drink at half nine, you'd be like, what? Yeah. What are you going to do? But I do, I have often been stung before by your lash schedule of starting at five and then you might go home. And I realise I get home at like 11. I realise I haven't had any tea. Yeah. I've been stung in the lash by that. But also we've been in pubs at about sort of like quarter past eight where we're both pretty uh, pretty good months and... <laughs> <laughs> Tired and emotional, yeah. Tired and emotional. Yes. How about your week in pubs, Robin? Well, it's been a good week in pubs, John. Um, but I wanted... A few people got in touch to, to talk about... Um, Remarkable historic pubs given protection. Oh, yes. Well, that's what I was talking about on Five Live Breakfast. Ah, yes, because Whitelock's Ale House in Leeds has been upgraded to grade two plus, or is it grade two star with a little asterisk by it? Um, which means that it's um, uh, of grade two is of special architectural interest, but but they are judged to be grade grade two plus or grade two stars. They're judged to be of particular national importance or special interest. So great news about Whitelocks, and also great news that the Blythe Hill Tavern, one of our old faves, has been newly listed as grade two. I was so when I saw that list, I was just really like my heart beamed to to see two old friends recognised. I know it's been brilliant, and the one that on the list as well, which has also been up graded to grade two star or grade two plus do you know what that is i don't it's just an asterisk after grade two i don't know no okay well if you know please let us know um but the prince alfred in maid of vale which looks absolutely beautiful we'll have to pop into that um it's uh lavish fittings exceptionally well-preserved bar from the height of the pub boom in the 1890s. It looks beautiful. I, is that Where in Maida Vale is that? Because I lived in Maida Vale, and I, I, I never thought of it as a great pub area. It's Formosa Street or Formosa Street, Maida Vale. Um, and the other one that looks absolutely superb that I would love to visit is the Victoria in St. John Street in Blackburn, a fine Edwardian pub of 1905, which is also 
newly listed, I think, as grade two. But that looks absolutely superb, kind of Art Nouveau tiling and everything. So I'd love to pay a visit to that. Oh, so the Prince Alfred in Maida Vale, it's got the most beautiful uh, glass windows. It's got an incredible interior. The reason I don't know it's because it's by Warwick Avenue Station, whereas I I was actually by Maida Vale Station. Ah. Warwick Avenue is such a nice part of the world. Um, but yeah, the the high glass ceiling. Oh, it's a good the yeah. If you if you look it up in your mind, the the windows, the sort of frontage is quite something. So were those that was that news to you brought by the mist, Robin, or was that did you find that in your own mind? Um, it was mist that a kind of a, it was a, like a sort of Instagram message. Well, what sort of well? How do you get that on mist? Um, you log into onto your I missed. Oh right, I missed. Okay, I missed. Yeah, and you download the kind of um, fog app. Yeah, and then you get your kind of DMs through the mist like that. Your direct mists. <laughs> yeah, direct mists. Yeah, <laughs> send us your direct mists. So do send us your direct mists on social mistia, and uh, <laughs> Rob. But Mysteria. I heard you sighing for the more traditional uh, sort of analog mist. Yeah, I I did sigh as well. I gave a really big sigh, a really kind of short, sharp sigh. Like, <gasps> yeah, like that. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like that. And I've had a lovely mist in here. This one's from Guy Bronze, which is a great name. Sounds like sort of a fitting in a pub as well, doesn't it? It sounds almost like like a name for an ale. Yeah, like Guy Bronze. A pint Bronze. of Guy Bronze. And his uh, mist is simply titled Norwich. Chunky Norwich. Hello, Robin and Robins. I was just listening to your episode about epic pub crawls and wanted to highlight perhaps the most epic one of them all, the Norwich City of Ale. And he's given us the, uh, the website here, cityofale.org.uk. So the fine city is essentially split up into trails, each half pint in a pub earns you a stamp. Then you collect a badge at the end of each trail. Yes, it's a reward system for drinking. <laughs> this year they are themed around old professions such as Mercer and Cordwainer, mirroring the tokens that replaced currency for a time in the 17th, 17th century. Uh, given your appreciation of Alan Partridge and history alike, I thought this may be something that tickles your respective pickles. My friends and I make a point of completing these trails every year and dub ourselves the Brothers in Ale. The festival does run for a month, but due to other commitments, we had to cram all 52 pubs into about three and a half days. Oh, yes, please. (laughs) This took meticulous planning and required several spreadsheets. We also scored the pubs as we went round for various categories, decor, atmosphere, price, selection, like it which I've now digitised, so let me know if you'd like a copy prior to a visit to Norwich. Oh, please. I'd love, I love a spreadsheet. Our top three included the Fat Cat, the White Lion, and the Plasterer's Arms. Please give them a shout-out if you'd be so kind. Uh, Norwich, in general, is an overlooked city. It really is, uh, but it deserves more recognition for its excellent pubs and ale alike. Consider a visit if you've ever got a spare weekend. Let me know if you need a guide. Cheers, and keep up the good work. Guy Bronze. Yeah, I've always loved gigging in Norwich. The Norwich Arts Centre, I think, is a fantastic venue. But pubs, I don't think I've really ever had a night out in Norwich. Well, Norwich is, suffers from something, in just sort of my line of work, that a lot of cities do, in that it's got a few 200-seaters, and it's got like a big barn-type venue, but it doesn't have anywhere quite in between. So if you want to make a killing on live comedy and live music, folks, 
open up a five to eight hundred seater in your local city. I really it's, can't emphasize that enough. It is it's as easy as that. It is as easy as that. Um let's just do another quick mist. This one says Derby. In the recent episode with the wonderful Anya Magliano, you paused while discussing Derby and identifying something specific to our wonderful city. So I'd like to bring to your attention that Derby is in fact the real ale capital of the world. Yes, you heard me right. We have, according to a recent survey by the Derby... Hang on a bit. By the Derby branch of camera, the survey. Um, it sounds like my, there might be a bit of bias going on there. The most real ale available per capita in the entire country. So there you have it. Cheers from Derby. And that's from Tim. Just as an addendum to the, the prior mist about those trails, I remember asking the landlord of a pub near me if he ever had draft cider. And he looked at me with this sort of sort of hangdog expression. He went, never again. Never again. Because <laughs> He he'd been contacted by like the local camera association saying they were doing a a beer trail and a cider trail, and they'd like to have and they were doing exactly the same thing where you have the little stamps and you have to taste each beer and cider on the trail, and they said they'd like to have some local ciders available. So he got like three different ones. Yeah, I don't know what they come in. It must be like thirty six or forty eight pint barrels or whatever. Yeah. And they came in and they bought a half each of the, like three, so three halves between them. Oh, God. They sipped the halves, oh. sort of made their notes about the taste and then got him to stamp their thing. <laughs> He's left with like 35 and a half pints of cider that no one's going to drink. That's great. Yeah. Bit of fun. Uh, but yeah, superb mists and bring your mist forth to john at moonunderpod.com. Let us know all about all things pub. Uh, your pub crawls, your unusual pub names, pubs of stage and screen, rest in pubs, pubs of the past, pub fantasies, basically anything uh, you like about booze. Um, anyway, a lot of the harvest chaff has <laughs> is starting to blow through the door because that's the thing people forget about harvest. It's not all wheat. There's a lot of chaff knocking around. A lot of separation needs to be. In fact, I think that's what that Offspring song was about. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sweep up some of the chaff, uh, so that uh, we're in a good state of affairs for this week's guest. Robin, Robin, the bells, the bells, and the wind chimes. Can you hear them? The bells, yes. The bells, the wind chimes, no. You can't hear the wind chimes. Well, that's that's rightly so, because they're silent wind chimes. Oh, I love a silent wind chime. Yeah, they're just sort of very ornate uh, sort of lengths of string. Yeah. Uh, and where the wind chimes, I think, have either been removed or were never there, but it's because the sound of wind chimes really is incredibly annoying, especially in wind. Um but the bells are playing their own sweet symphony, and it's a beautiful. What would you call it, Robin? Well, I'd say the bells—they're they're very infrequent. There's one every thousand years. Yes, a bell toll, and we just had one, and we're still feeling that resonance of that beautiful bell toll. And I guess we'll just have to wait the ne- another thousand years for the next one. Yes, but it is signalling at the arrival of this week's guest. Um, uh, even though we, well, it's hard to explain. In, in 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 the correct realm, we have a guest every thousand years, but that equates to uh, one one per week in the other realm. It's 
don't don't let me get bogged down in all that again. <laughs> uh, but yes, the thousand year, the millennium bell has tolled, and into the moon underwater walks the honourable, the venerable Dr. Rada Modgill. Hello, Rada. <laughs> Hello. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me in and not leaving me out in the cold. <laughs> oh, well, it's about time we had some expertise around these parts because Robin and I. And the, many of the sort of ghosts that haunt this building have thousands of ailments. Yeah. I was going to say, if you're looking for expertise, then I might as well just leave. Now, so. <laughs> uh, but you'll be familiar to everyone from uh, TV and radio, uh, the surgery on Radio 1, and also on Radio 1's Life Hacks uh, with Vic Hope and Kate Thistleton. But the first question I wanted to ask you, as a sort of, not just a, a doctor and a GP, but a sort of a TV presence... I I have a lot of friends who are doctors, and I always ask them about my problems, um, sometimes over dinner. But you're basically known by so many people as a doctor. Do you get approached by strangers in pubs or bars or restaurants, sort of showing you photos of their rashes and things? <laughs> so I have been lucky enough not to be approached in a pub by anyone with a photo or showing me any kind of body parts. Thank goodness. <laughs> But I have been, I have been approached, you're right, I have been approached uh, when people find out I'm a doctor in my gym, for example, or, uh, or, or some place I go to, I have been approached by people who have literally stopped me kind of mid-squat and they've said, uh, can I just show you this rash? And I'm oh, like, no. no, please don't do that. <laughs> Mainly because I'm going to fall over mid-squat. Um, but generally, I try not to tell anybody that I'm a doctor if I can help it, um, unless I'm at work, because actually, you're right, you do get people... Um, with lots and lots of questions and uh, sometimes I I tell them I'm a hairdresser they look at my hair they go no you're not you're definitely not a hairdresser <laughs> I think your hair looks lovely oh well thank you so much <laughs> and you, you've spoken a lot about the sort of the relationship between alcohol and mental health do you find when you're out and about or when you're out drinking with friends perhaps you must have quite an acute eye for people who are perhaps not drinking in a healthy way does that does the fact that you're so informed and so familiar with the sort of the, the thick end of the wedge of, of drinking and health, does that sometimes spoil nights out or does it help you control your drinking? Um probably a bit of both to be honest with you. But I have to say I think I think um and many medical students will tell you this, is that actually doctors are probably the worst people for taking their own advice. Yeah. So. <laughs> So, uh, so I suppose it does go through your head, but actually, I think, I think, you know, when you're go- when you're out in a pub, when you're going out with friends, when you're out at someone's for dinner and you're having a glass of wine, you know, you you kind of forget you're a doctor, really. And so, although it's there in your head, although you've got you've got your own awareness and your own kind of insight into your own relationship with alcohol and how that affects you and your, you know, how you feel the next day, for example, um, it doesn't really it doesn't really strike me that much. I have to say, I'm quite good at just boundaring off the doctor from the individual, and I definitely not one of those people who goes around telling people what to do when I'm out on a night out with them because I'd probably have no friends left um even if I wanted to so <laughs> so definitely not I, I probably probably one of the main times that really struck me I think was when I was working um in A&E at St Thomas's in London uh, many years ago and I was doing my A&E job for about six months and I was rotated on to basically be there on new year's eve and my yeah i know and my shift time was three in the afternoon until midnight which is not a helpful time no 
frankly, it's better to like finish at three o'clock in the morning than it is dead or midnight. Um, and it was very quiet from about 11 onwards. And uh, the registrar, who's like a senior doctor in charge of me, came up to me and said, oh, you know what, Roger, I think you can just go home early. You can go home. And I was just thinking, well, what's the point in going home? Because where can I get to now for New Year's Eve? So I ended up staying and kind of celebrating a little bit with uh, with some of my friends there. And then about two two minutes after midnight, a whole raft of people just started coming in. It was a bit like a like an exodus, uh, but the wrong way into A and E, completely and utterly drunk. Um, and uh, that was a that was probably the, that was probably the one peak time in my career when I just thought, oh my God, look at that, look what alcohol does. That's extraordinary. <laughs> and what advice would you have for people who who coming out of lockdown are perhaps struggling to shake off? a bit of a booze habit that, or, you know, an over-reliance on, on alcohol that they had while life was so difficult? Um, I'd definitely say you're not alone in that. I think so many people found that experience, um, not just with alcohol, but lots of other things as well. I think that's helpful to know because a lot of, there's a lot of shame surrounding, you know, alcohol dependence or, or drinking lots of alcohol and things getting out of control. So I think the shame needs to be kind of uncovered quite a lot. Um, but I also think one of the really important things alongside sort of professional support is actually asking the question, why? Um, why am I drinking? And that's the same with lots of things. Why am I turning on the TV? Why am I watching the news? Why am I picking up my mobile phone? What, why am I doing that? Because we can talk about the physical consequences of alcohol and the mental health consequences, but actually, I think with anything that we do that isn't great for us, it's always really important to work out what our emotional state is before we reach for that thing. So, you know, what are you feeling? What's, what's going on in your system? What's going on in your head? what's happened to you, what's been going on in your life and why are you reaching for alcohol? And I think if we can kind of be more supportive actually of the why, then I think actually we can tackle the problem more head on rather than judging or shaming or which is never going to get anyone anywhere and never going to help anybody get out of that kind of habit. And I think we all have little habits like that that we would rather we didn't, whether it is something, you know, that's like, like drinking or something smaller scale, like as you said, checking your phone all the time people really want to get out of those habits and I think we, everyone in lockdown did find themselves kind of binging on stuff in some way whether it was a tv program or food or blah 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 but um but how, how once you've kind of recognized that what what steps do you take to kind of try and combat it I mean it's a big question but you know basically how can I stop checking my phone <laughs> <laughs> well you're talking about things in the pandemic I, mine was chocolate digestives I was like every afternoon in the you know, kind of when the pandemic hit I think about 3 30 in the afternoon I'd just go and have about eight chocolate digestives with a cup of tea <laughs> they made me feel safe somehow yeah. I don't know why mine, but they just did mine was half five on the drive like I'd finish work go out on the drive and have a beer and that was just the reward thing. I mean, I'm weirdly nostalgic about it now, but, you know. <laughs> well, I think, like, people... When, when people's days became so repetitive and often spending all the day at home, you sort of... Your body needs a way of saying that the work day is over and relaxation time has begun. And also your body needs a way of changing the scenery when the scenery stays the same. And, like, alcohol is very effective at changing the sort of scenery of your mind. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I think it's important to say, though, as well, and again, like, pubs pubs are not just about alcohol, right? They're about soft drinks, they're about, you know, whatever. But I think, you know, we're still, we've still got, in this country, I think, this mindset that 
pub equals alcohol which equals not healthy whereas actually when you think about the restrictions and what happened in the pandemic you know pubs are so crucial for social connection aren't they for meeting up with friends for being around people for like you say having a change of environment to kind of feeling part of something in your local area and I think there's um with anything there's never a kind of extreme this is good or this is bad it's just that kind of nuanced conversation which I don't think sometimes we're at all good at Mm, (laughs) especially on social media but generally about about things in life we're not very good at that it showed how much people care about pubs like people really do they matter to people and I spoke to Professor David Nutt for another podcast I do called How Do You Cope and he's sort of spent his life working around the effects of alcohol and drugs on the body and he said something that really stuck with me we said you know a few but the one thing he said that I will always remember, he said, it's not your fault that you want a drink. It's not like a flaw in your personality. It's addictive. It's nice. It makes you feel good. And it's cheap. And it's legal. Yes. <laughs> and so I was thinking, like, if I walk to my local Tesco, in between my house and Tesco, there are eight places that sell alcohol. And it's only a 10 minute walk. So it's not like you know, it's understandable that in difficult times or, you know, in good times alike, you will seek out those places because they're literally right in front of you when you step out of your house. Absolutely. I mean, I I, I moved house last summer and where I've moved to, there's literally, I think there's about 10 pubs in like half, like a mile radius oh. or something. Literally, I was like, oh, oh my God, yeah. there, are just, there are so many. And they're all different. They've all got different styles, all different kind of vibes, different atmospheres. You know, and, and you kind of pick and choose, bit like uh, sort of pick and mix, you know, pick and choose what, what kind of pub you want to go to for what and what kind of mood you're in. But you're right, you know, they are they are everywhere and alcohol is, is kind of everywhere in our society. When we think about celebrations, we automatically have these associations, don't we, with advertising, all kinds of things that we've grown up with. And it's really interesting how different cultures kind of have different attitudes to alcohol and, you know, different kind of ways of being around alcohol and, and whether or not... You know, I, I know I know some some friends who are European, and they very much sort of talk about how when they were young, kind of under sixteen, their parents would give them some wine or some alcohol with with dinner, and it wasn't kind of forbidden in their house. Um, and so they kind of grew up with they thought a much healthier attitude to alcohol as opposed to being saying no, you're not allowed anything, and then suddenly you're allowed free access to it. So it's it's interesting, yeah. Those ten pubs near you. Uh, without giving away your specific location, what what sort of part of the world are we talking? So we're talking about 45 minutes out of London, West. <laughs> Which of those pubs is your favourite and will they inform uh, the sort of style of pub you're creating with us this evening in The Moon Underwater? Uh, so I definitely have a favourite pub and it's about a five minutes walk from me, which is absolutely perfect. Um, and it is, I think it's it's probably the one that I... I, uh, I, like I say, when I'm in different moods, I might go to, to sort of different pubs, but I think that one is the kind of the baseline for me. So it probably does create a bit of a framework for the kind of pub that I'd like to create. And what sort of pub is it? What sort of style? Um, so it's kind of oldie-worldie um, with a bit of modern, uh, lovely food, uh, lots of games, lots of outdoor spaces and fires, which I love. Nice. <laughs> games, always, always board games. Oh, we... So board games, kind of big, big games in the garden, the outside space, 
bit of competition. I'm a bit, of, I'm a bit competitive when it comes to games, so I like a bit of that. Are we staring <laughs> down the barrel of massive Jenga and massive Connect Four? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so. How did you guess? <laughs> massive Jenga is very, very loud, though, isn't it? That is, I mean, Jeng, normal Jenga's loud. That's why it needs to be outside. It needs to be outside. To be outside. But I, I do think a ban on normal Jenga in pubs might be quite good, to be fair. What do you think? Thoughts? Well, it sort of went through its heyday or in the late 90s, early 2000s, everyone was playing Jenga. I think, oh, I walked past a shop today that was selling an unbranded Jenga and in the window it just said wooden block game. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like all those chicken shops that are not K- KFC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind a ban on Jenga in pubs, but it wouldn't be my like top of my list of things to ban. It's the sudden noise and the anticipation of noise. Yeah. Well, if you see people playing Jenga, you know there's going to be a big noise. Yeah, and also the noise of the people playing, because the people go, oh, oh, oh. And you're like, mate, chill. Yeah. Chill. Take a breath. <laughs> it's like a stre- very stressful tennis match, mm. isn't it? Mm. Without the rhythm. Yes. <laughs> If, if both the tennis players just sort of fell into a pile of wooden bricks at the yes, end of every exactly. set. exactly. <laughs> That's what happens to me when I play tennis. I mean... <laughs> Hello, fans of Pub and Pint. I'm Jess Phillips, an MP, and now, for the first time, a podcast host. I know that the moon underwater is used to sighing for its letters... So I think you'll love my new podcast that's all about writing letters. It's called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. So with that, I'll sign off with Yours Sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy an episode of my podcast soon. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
let's get started kitting out this dream pub of yours. Do I call you Rada or Dr Rada? Please call me Rada because everyone calls me Dr Rada. In fact, some people have got me under D in their contact list, their phone, <laughs> which really distresses me and disturbs me. So. <laughs> uh, so what two draft options would you like in your pub? Uh, so definitely a cider. I am a, I am a cider girl at heart and uh, you can't beat that with some fish and chips. You can't beat that at the end of a long day or a beautiful summer day when you're sitting outside and you just want a lovely, lovely cider. So um, I'm, I'm quite a simple person, like a Bulmers, so something quite inexpensive or Cornish cider. Are you from the West Country? No, I'm not actually. I'm uh, well. My, my sister lives in the West Country, but I'm uh, just. I'm actually not very far from where I grew up originally, actually. <laughs> um, but I do. So, but with that cider, I, I have to have crisps. That is just. Uh, I cannot have cider without a nice pack, packet of salt and vinegar crisps. Right. So it's not necessarily going to make it into the your pub. I mean, it will do because you have total control. It's not an official selection, but could we talk through your top three salt and vinegar crisps, please? Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Now you've got me onto one of my favourite topics, crisps. <laughs> Literally. Uh, so, I mean, obviously you've got, the, you've got the kind of the, the posh version, haven't you? You've got the kind of kettle chips, that kind of version. But I think... Tyrrells. Yeah, Tyrrells, yeah. They're a bit, they're a bit too posh for me. I like, honest with you, yeah, they are. I, I'm a bit of like a, a squares kind of girl, actually, or chipsticks. Salt and vinegar squares are really good. Yeah, they are good. I think, I think it has to be squares actually, because chipsticks get in your teeth and you can't get them out, and you can't do that in public. John's got the most insane taste in crisps. I was at, went to see John perform at the weekend at a podcast festival with Ellis James, and it went backstage, and he had seventy packs of. Discos, salt and vinegar <laughs> on oh his rider. I used to love discos. Yeah. People seem to think you can't get salt and vinegar discos anymore. They're everywhere. <laughs> also, that they were not 70. Okay. They were 12 packets. And the reason was is because our producer said there's a rider. And I said, I don't care, just get whatever you like. Because I'm, you know, I'm not drinking and I'll get some food. And they were like, oh, well, can you be more specific? And I said, all right, then, salt and vinegar discos. Mm. And then they made a big fuss about how I was such a diva demanding right. salt and vinegar discos. <laughs> and we got there. And obviously some poor sod at the venues had to go and source 12 packs of salt and vinegar discos like I'm Beyonce. Where did I, where did I get 70 from? Just imagination. Well, also, someone in the audience, because I bang on about how you can't get pickled onion walkers yeah. in England. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. you can in some places. But in Scotland... They're, like, really popular. So someone had got me um, 24 packs of pickled onion walkers, and they're very tangy. I can still taste them. This was three days ago. You know, I was literally about to move on to pickled onion monster munch because they are my favourite crisps. But you have to basically not see anyone else, another human being, for about 24 hours after you consume a packet. That's true. So we've got Bulmers on draft with either salt and vinegar squares, pickled onion monster munch or chipsticks. What would be your second draft item? Um, I've gone for an IPA, so uh, India Pale Ale. Maybe like I love, um, I love the Camden Brewery. That's one of my favourites. Or uh, or an Adnams. Adnams is nice. Camden Pale Ale, or is it an IPA? Uh, an IPA, an IPA. Do Camden do an IPA? That's Camden Pale, which is, Camden Pale is the tur- turquoise one, right? I think that's what I mean. Yeah, it's the turquoise one. Yeah, and the main reason I like that is because they just look so good. They, the packaging is beautiful. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I go for that brand. Well, I really like the Camden Pale Ale. However, 
I am slightly annoyed at Camden Brewery for stopping making their weeknight, mm. which was a 3% lager that was absolutely beautiful. And you could even get it in supermarkets, but they've stopped making it. And I think that's a real shame because it's important. I mean, I'm obsessed with sort of the weaker end of the beer spectrum. Mm. But those little 330 mils of weeknight, they were one unit a can. Mm. So you could, an evening cooking, you could have four or five cans. You've only actually had two pints. So if anyone from Camden's listening, please bring back weeknight, <laughs> but also the pale ale is Maybe superb. we could start a petition. Should we start a petition? They never listen to petitions. It's a, sort of a, a social action kind of bit of your podcast. <laughs> I remember seeing it in Tesco and it was reduced to clear and I thought, uh-oh. Oh, so did you, did you go in and buy like 70? Like I bought 24 cans um, and they were like 50p each. Oh, what a week that was. <laughs> that was good, good, a good week for your biceps, yeah. carrying those to the yeah. tail. <laughs> Rada, where do you stand on the Camden glasses? You know, those very squat glasses. Do you like those? I don't actually. I'm, I'm not. A, they're, they're a bit too wide and a bit too squat for me. I think they're difficult to carry. Uh, I mean, I used to. I used to waitress in a, in a harvester actually in my summer holidays at university. So I'm not. I'm not too bad at carrying lots of uh, glasses. She says, <laughs> unless I'm wearing heels and unless I've had three ciders um, and I'm going down some stairs. But uh, but I think they're very easy to carry. And I think uh, I think above all, in a in a pub, you want to kind of feel safe and, and secure and comfortable that you're going to get those back to the table. My issue is that is that it's the optical illusion it plays, where you're looking at it and go, that's not a pint. Uh, Dangerous. Yeah. Dangerous, yeah. That's not a pint. I'll have another one. No, no, I'll have another one. No, that wasn't a pint. It's just a small glass. i tell you what I do <laughs> like is the half ones. And I think especially um, Beavertown do really nice half glasses because... It sort of doesn't look like a half. It just looks like a really sophisticated way of drinking a pint. Uh, but I think Camden also do quite nice half ones as well. So basically, the design of half pint glasses has come a long way. I'm just looking it up in my mind. The Camden do these lovely squat. They look almost like sort of what you might put a, a tea light or a candle in. Oh, yeah. Really, Gosh, really so nice. that's not that small. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the bor- borrower's land there. Yeah. <laughs> like little thimbles of, of like beer. And... I'd quite like to go up to a bar and say, can I just borrow a couple of pints? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I went to the pub and I had a drink with my friend. It was really nice. The pub was called The Moon Underwater. So we move on to your cans and bottles, Rada. What are we going for? Uh, so I've got two bottles. I've got, I uh, can never say this word properly, Nightimber. Nightimber? I can never say that. Nightimber's English sparkling wine. Mm. Ooh. Could you spell it, please? N-Y-E. Yeah. T-I-M-B-E-R-S. Mm. As in timber. Or it might be net, netting, is it, is it netimber? Nightimber. As opposed to nightimber. I think you're. I think you're right with Nightimber. I but I would guess. I would hazard a think? guess. Yeah. I tend to just point at it rather than actually say it out loud if I'm ordering it because <laughs> I don't know how to say it. <laughs> so this is an English sparkling wine. It is. Yes. Which one is it? I'm just looking it up in my mind, and there's quite a few different ones. 
So the one I'm thinking of tastes a lot of kind of a apple, a bit of honey. Um, it's kind of made, I think it's made from this, in the same, using the same method as they used to make champagne, actually. But it's very delicate, very light. And uh, it kind of feels, um, I'm, I'm quite a big fan, actually, of English sparkling wines, uh, more than anything else, actually. It's just very refreshing. And you feel like you're having a little bit of a treat. Uh, nice for like a summer summer's day, maybe, out in, out in the pub. I think we're talking about the Nye Timber Classic Cuvée Multi-Vintage. You've got it. You've got it. So a lot of people are sort of banging the drum for English wine. And from the people I've spoken to in the wine biz, it's really come along leaps and bounds. But what what, what was your first experience of, of drinking it? And what, what made you sort of try an English sparkling wine? So I think probably like you said, about five, six years ago, there was a big conversation going on about English sparkling wines and how they were kind of coming to the fore. And I always thought it was just nice, actually, because everyone always goes on about champagne and, you know, all that kind of stuff as a celebration. You, know, you must have champagne, must have champagne. I was like, well, actually, I, I prefer, I don't, I don't mind champagne, but actually I like wine better. But I like sparkling wine even more because it just feels a little bit special. So I suppose I was looking for something which wasn't necessarily run of the mill in terms of everyone always going for champagne, but just something slightly different. Um, and I do like the fact that English sparkling wines have kind of come a bit more into the fore and got a bit more prominence. I think that's good. Um, but I think for me, it was when I had it, um, I went round to my friend's house for one of their birthdays. They had a big birthday party in their garden, invited lots of people. It was a beautiful summer day, typical, perfect, lovely, like June summer day, like strawberries, barbecue, um, and I just remember having a glass of it when I first arrived. And it was absolutely beautiful, and it hit the spots. And I thought, right, what's this? What's this called? What's this called? I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a screenshot on my phone because I can never remember names of anything. So that's how, that's how it started, and, I, and I've loved it ever since. I like the idea of you in that very sort of um, serene, genteel English setting, taking a sip and going, right, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you why because I'm so bad at remembering names of really lovely things so whether that's a restaurant or a place I've been to or like if you go abroad and you come back and you remember it for like one day and then people ask you about three weeks later where did you go you know in that country and you're like I can't remember yeah <laughs> so uh so yeah that's what I do that's uh I just take screenshots of everything well I think it's a very good tip with wine especially when you have a good one is have a little folder on your phone of wines you like take a photo of the label and pop it in there because then the next time you're out when when a collection of a selection of wine can seem quite overwhelming you're like oh we'll have that one from that restaurant or let's find one similar and if you go to like a majestic you can show them a photo and say have you got this or if not what's like this Mm. are you saying you've got a a wine spreadsheet john is that what you're saying do you know i actually have really (laughs) yeah um, can I borrow that? Yeah. Do you know what though? I I am I'm I used to be absolutely terrible at wines, particularly. I used to just be like red or white, and people were like, no, what kind of red or white? And I was like, um, I don't know, just you choose whatever. <laughs> and actually, I did. Um, one of my friends has been extremely patient with me. Has actually been teaching me a little bit more about wines over the last few years. So I'm just you know, it's kind of one of the things I'm I'm planning to improve on. You see, self development. Nice, <laughs> superb. So Nye Timber Cuvee Multi Vintage English Sparkling Wine is your first bottle. What's your second one? So it's got to be um, a Sauvignon Blanc, uh, New Zealand, Marlborough. Love um, it. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it reminds me a bit of like um, uh, a vanilla sponge cake, but with a tiny bit of sharp jam 
That's my description of it. Ooh, is this a specific <laughs> Sauvignon Blanc? Um, so that um, Villa Maria, that's one that I've learned, all that I've learned about, got a screenshot of and and drunk, and that's uh, that's very very beautiful. So um, that's my other choice of bottle. I had a Sauvignon Blanc yesterday. In fact, it's called the Ned. And oh, I've got one of those in my kitchen. Well, it's so delicious, but I was slightly annoyed with myself because the reason I've avoided it is because it's suddenly like everywhere. So you think, oh, that's just like another, you know, marketing thing. Mm. And then I went into, I actually went into Majestic and said, I just want to, I, I was in a rush. I said, I just want a classic Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. And the guy handed it to me and I sort of wanted to go, yeah, but not that one. But, <laughs> but I had no reason for not buying this wine. So I bought it. Sometimes the label puts you off, one off. I don't know. I've just seen it advertised in a lot of places. I think the name I find slightly annoying. The Ned. The Ned. But I have to say, it's an absolute belter. Yeah. Villa Maria is very good. You get that in Tesco. It's a lovely, lovely drop. Mm-hmm. Get a bottle of that. Go home. Whack some Keith Jarrett on. You've got a great <laughs> night. You have got, you've got yourself a wonderful bloody night. Yeah. You, Robin? <laughs> so, so far in Dr. Rada Modgill's Dream Pub, we have Bulmers with three crisp options. Salt and vinegar squares, pickled onion, monster munch and chipsticks. We have Camden Pale Ale. Uh, both of those on draft. In cans and bottles, we have Nye Timber Cuvée Multi-Vintage and Sauvignon Blanc, a Marlborough from Villa Maria. But before we head into part two, we must, we must set ourselves some goals. And those goals come in the form of the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz with the lovely Robin Allender. Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down, it's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger, that wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey had been deducted five points. Thanks, John. Welcome to the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Rada, what, what's your? How are you? How are your? How? I'll start that again. <laughs> no, no. Continue it and say how are your feelings about <laughs> pub quizzes. <laughs> I would answer it anyway, so it's all right. <laughs> Do you like a pub quiz? I love a pub quiz. Good. I love. I love a pub. Yeah, I love one. I'm not very good at them actually, but I love them in that they're a game. Yeah. Bit of competition, bit of fun. Uh, and you never quite know how well you're going to do, and you never quite know how the night's going to turn out, whether or not people are going to get really competitive and quite angry, or they're just going to give up. As a doctor, do you, I mean, if there's a specialist round, does it ever come in handy in a pub quiz? <laughs> <laughs> For instance, question one is, I've got this rash on my... No. Um, but, uh... <laughs> Um, only occasionally, I have to say. I haven't been to many pub quizzes where there have been specific kind of medical questions, yeah. unfortunately. You might get the odds kind of what's what's the you know, what's the bone in your leg called. Yeah. But um when I can shine, I can all those years of studying can really kind of pay off. Shit, should have done that. Apart from that, not very much really. <laughs> no. Uh anyway, but this week's pub quiz is actually about pop music. But it's a, it's a bit unusual. It's about so it's about it's three questions which are about funny or amusing moments that have snuck their way into hit singles. Okay, so it's three questions about that. So question one is about Queen. So I have no doubt in my mind that John clearly John's a huge Queen fan. In case you didn't know, rather, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, but I want him to sing a bit later yeah. on now. I know. But 
John, you're clearly going to know the answer to this one. So to make it harder for John, I want you to also tell me the month and year in which the song was recorded. <laughs> recorded? <laughs> yeah, recorded. Okay, great. <laughs> okay, so question one is, which Queen song ends with the line, gimme, 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 fried chicken? Is it, oh is it A, hammer to fall? Is it B, another one bites the dust? Or is it C, one vision? And John has got the extra little challenge there of trying to work out when it was recorded, because I'm sure he knows the answer. Wow, what a line, first of all. Yeah. Um, how extraordinary. Yeah, I'm sure John can kind of explain what, what happened with the fried chicken getting into a Queen song. Question two. In which Beatles song can you hear someone say, fucking hell? <laughs> uh, it's, I, I think it's Paul McCartney. Some people think it's John. I'm pretty sure it's, I'm pretty sure it's Paul. But is it A... Let it be. Is it B, Hey Jude? Or is it C, Lady Madonna? Fucking hell. And question three. In the fade-out of which 1982 hit single, can you hear the lines, Please don't procrastinate. It's not good to masturbate. <laughs> and sorry, no multiple choices here because the correct answer would stick out like a sore thumb. Well, sore, you catch my drift. But um, yes, that's in the fade out of a very, very famous 1982 hit single. Uh, do you need any more? Do you need some clues with that? Maybe. I was looking for uh, some options. There, I have to say. Yeah. <laughs> if I put the song title in the options, it would be so obvious that it was. Really? Yeah. Uh, I think I know that one. Yeah. Okay. Nin- 1982. 1982. Yeah. Very famous song. You'll definitely know. Yeah. So those are the three questions. Well, thank you very much, uh, the lovely Robin Allender, for leaving us on those pop music tenterhooks. <laughs> uh, join us in part two, where we will continue to kit out the dream pub of Dr. Rada Modgill. And uh, what a treat it's been so far. Just a reminder that you can head to moonunderpod.com to find out how to support this pub through Patreon. Also get access to special treats, including, but not limited to, our bonus podcast, Behind the Cellar Door, and also advance ticket access for live shows, which there'll be some announcements about very shortly. See you in part two. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.